0: The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com.
1: Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 35. God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then arise, and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to God, who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all they had, all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is, Bethel, which is the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called the name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Patamaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. He called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink of offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still from some different distance from Ephrath Rachel went into labor and she had a hard labor and when her labor was at its hardest the midwife said to her do not fear for you having another son and as her, and as her soul was departing for she was dying she called his name ben-oni but his father called him benjamin so Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath that is Bethlehem and Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: You may be seated. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Huh? Good. Good. It's not raining, right? We got that going for us. Well... Good morning and welcome to Sacred City Church. If this is your first time with us, I want to welcome you. My name is Justin. I'm the pastor here um, at Sacred City. We're uh, a church plant. We're just about a year and a half old. And uh, we're part of the Acts 29 network. We're we're glad that you're here this morning. Um, We don't really pull any punches. We do things pretty straightforward. Uh, We've been going through the book of Genesis, the very first book of the entire Bible. And we've been going through that now for about 40 weeks. We've been in this for 40 weeks. We're in the 35th chapter today. We've got about 15 more chapters to go, excuse me, 15 more chapters to go, and then we're going to be uh, studying something different. So it's been a really fruitful season for me. Um, I've enjoyed taking off, you know, biting off more than I can chew and, and grabbing one of the larger books of the Bible and wor- working verse by verse through it. Um, before we jump in today, I want to remind everyone, this last Wednesday we were meant to have our, our, our community picnic um, On Wednesday night, obviously the weather, you know, nobody wanted to, to wear scuba gear, I guess. So, you know, uh, we had to cancel that. This Wednesday, we have rescheduled it. Hopefully, there's still like a 40% chance of rain. So hopefully things will clear up and it'll pass over us and uh, we can still have our, have our picnic. So Wednesday night, it's on the city. If you're not a part of the city, it's our social networking site. You can sign up in the back at the box office, find out more information about that. Bring your own meat and a side to share. Some yard games, if you got them, we're going to have a blast. Um, friends and neighbors that you are on mission towards, uh, bring them out. It's going to be a great opportunity. So I'm not going to... And men, I guess last thing, men, uh, manhood restored, or authentic... What's it called? Authentic manhood, I'm sorry. Authentic manhood starts this Thursday. Um... At 6 a.m. Thank you, Sam. At six a.m. on Thursday morning. So be there. We'll have all your materials. Bring your fifteen bucks. If you didn't, if you did, if you still want to sign up, let us know, and we can try to make sure we've got stuff there for you. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. Gracious God, it is a blessing to be gathered here with your people this morning. Um, that there's people from all across our cities. There's people who are here for the first time. There's people who have been here since the day we launched this church. And we are grateful that none of us are here because we're good people who deserve your grace. We're all uh, sinners. We're all people who, who serve other gods and we chase after other things and we don't really concern ourselves with you very often. Uh, but you call us in and by your sovereign grace, you got us here this morning. And uh, now we sit under your word and we ask that you would speak to us, that the God of the universe would speak through his word, that you would speak to our hearts, you would speak to our minds and that um, that you would help us hear. I mean, there's a lot of distractions and there's a lot of things going on in our life and a lot of relationships that need fixing and a lot of difficulties at work and difficulties in the home. And uh, there's just a lot of distractions, Facebook and Twitter and all the things that go on in our life and the phone buzzes in our pocket. I pray for the next um, hour or so that you would focus us on you, allow us to hear what you would have to say to us, this is, uh, could be the most important day in our lives. This could be the most important day in all of our eternity, a day where the light bulb comes on and, and uh, you do a huge work in our hearts. So we ask this um, by your grace. We ask this through your spirit. We ask this by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have a Bible, please open it up to Genesis chapter 35. If you don't have a Bible, if you have an iPhone or a tablet, you can search Sacred City. In your app store. We've got a free app there for you. There's a Bible right there. If you have the version app, you can also find it there. Or, hey, we've got, we, we try to, nobody has excuse for not reading along with us this morning, right? We also have a few free Bibles in the back. They're sitting on the step in the back. Just grab one of those. We want you to follow along uh, with us this morning. Uh, we have been studying the life of Jacob over the last 10 chapters in the book of Genesis. And all of our study has been building up to this climax that we're going to be studying this morning in chapter 35 as we jump into our text this morning it would do us good to remember the promise that god or that promise that jacob made to god approximately 30 years earlier than where we are in this text right now 30 years ago jacob was fleeing from his brother who had threatened to kill him because Jacob had stole his birthright, his inheritance. Uh, Jacob was alone in the wilderness. He was all by himself. He was scared. He was on the run for his life. Heaven had been closed to him. He had never had any kind of encounter with God. He had never had an experience with God. He had heard about God from his dad and his grandpa, but he had never really um, had a, a moment of faith or a crisis of faith himself. And he's out all alone in the desert. And God gives him a dream. In the dream, Jacob, who heaven had been closed to, in this dream, Jacob saw heaven opened and angels going up and down this giant ladder or this giant staircase. Um, And Jacob woke up and he realized, wow, this was a gift of God. And so he made an altar. Basically, he built this little stone tablet. He erected this stone little monument up. To worship God. He built this place to worship God. And he said, here I've met God. Here I'm going to call this Bethel, the house of God. God has spoken to me here. And then it says, he worshiped the Lord, the God of the universe, the covenant God of Israel. He worshiped that Lord at Bethel. Jacob there made a vow to God. Do we remember that vow? Uh, Let's read it together. If you could open up your Bibles, Genesis 28. Let's just read it real quick to to refresh our memory. Genesis 28, verse 20. When you're there, say there. Okay. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I should go, that I go and will give me bread to eat and will give me clothing to wear so that I can come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my god and this stone which i've set up for a pillar shall be god's house and all that i that you give me i will give a full tenth to you okay do you remember that promise that jacob made to god that was 30 years ago from where we're at right here jacob made that vow He said, listen to this, he said, if God would be my God and would get me back to my father's house, he's been at, he was leaving his father's house at that moment. So he said, if God would be so good to me that he would get me back and reunite me with my father, I'll know that he's God and I'll serve him and I'll give a tenth of everything that God gives me, ten percent of everything God gives me, I'll give back to him. And we know this was a a conditional promise, not by a man whose heart had been fully changed by grace, but a guy who was kind of like, well, if God blesses me, then I'll bless him. You know, God was still kind of a means to his end. But now we see a different Jacob. See, that was 30 years ago. Jacob made that vow and then spent 20 years serving his wicked uncle Laban, picking up four wives in the process. He was a busy man. Then Jacob, and just for for those of you who are with us this morning, God does not condone uh, having four wives. This was his own sin. He did it in his own folly. Um, God never condones having multiple wives just to throw that in there. Then Jacob fled. So 20 years with his uncle Laban, then Jacob flees from his uncle Laban. And now he has spent the last decade of his life, basically doing what he wants to do. God had told him, go back to Bethel, the place where you first met me. He's like, ah, not really. I'll do what I want to do. God had told him to go back to Bethel, but we watched last week as Jacob returned to the promised land, but he stopped just one day's journey short from Bethel. Jacob offered to God his partial obedience, stopping just 20 miles short of Bethel at a place called Shechem. And last week we saw the horrible consequences of Jacob's partial obedience. He was in a city, that he wasn't supposed to be in. And his young teenage daughter was raped and kidnapped. And his sons went on a genocidal rampage in their sinful response. It was, an, it was a, a dark week last week. But today we're going to witness and we're going to realize, we're going to be reminded that God's grace towards Jacob, that God's grace is absolutely relentless. God refuses to break his promise that he made to Jacob. He refuses to go back on his word. Even though Jacob has sinned and has walked away and has done so many foolish things, God is faithful to the covenant that he made with him 30 years prior. Jacob's sin, Jacob's partial obedience, and Jacob's outright disobedience, through it all, God is still relentlessly gracious to Jacob. So here we are, Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. Let's jump into it. God said to Jacob, so this is right on the heels of Jacob's daughter being raped, and Jacob did not look very good last week. Jacob was very weak last week. God said to Jacob, arise, go up, or up, get up. Go to Bethel and dwell there. He's reminding him, go back to the place where I called you to go. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled your brother Esau. See, this is so gracious of God. We don't see God scolding Jacob for his half-hearted and partial obedience that was displayed in his settling down in a place other than Bethel. We simply see God graciously telling him what he already knew. Get up and go back to Bethel. Get up and do what I've already told you to do. God's plans, it's miraculous, but God's plans are not altered one iota by human sin. God's grace is so relentless. He has chosen to use Jacob. He actually chose to use Jacob before Jacob was even born. And even Jacob's own foolishness isn't enough to cause God to let him go. This should be good news for us this morning. And this next verse gives us a glimpse uh, inside the spiritual climate of Jacob's family. If you can remember back a few chapters, when Jacob left his uncle Laban's house, one of his wives, Rachel, had taken Laban's uh, little household gods with her. She had taken his gods and had them in her saddlebags. And Laban was irate about it and followed after them, chasing after them, saying, I want my gods back. Sounds like a little boy searching for a stolen G.I. Joe. Laban comes looking. I want my gods and I want them now. Listen, if your gods get lost, you've got a God problem. Okay? And now we're looking at verse 2. Look, look what Jacob... Look, 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 what, look, how, look at what's going on in Jacob's own house. So Jacob said to his household... So God speaks to him, reminds him to go back where he's supposed to go. Jacob said to his own household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Put away all the foreign gods among you. This lets us know the spiritual climate of Jacob's house. He was aware of and possibly even condoning the worship of other gods. Jacob was failing to lead his house spiritually. So for the last 10 years, since they had left Laban's house, Jacob's family had been worshiping God and idols. Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. Listen. This is very interesting for us this morning. Do you want to know what you worship? <laughs> My son said yes. That's right. This will not this will totally not apply to him what I'm about to say. If you want to know what you worship, the easiest way is to check your bank statement. Where is the money flowing? Jesus again says, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Our money flows to what we worship. Is all is the majority of your money for your kids? Maybe that's what you worship. Is the majority of your money flowing to yourself and your entertainment? Maybe your education. Education's important. I'm not saying that. Where's your? Where's the thrust of your life headed? Where's your money flowing? Men, this is a specific uh, call to us. Do you know the spiritual climate of your home? You are the thermostat. You set the temperature. Your family follows your lead. That's the way God set it up. You are the one that God has placed in the home. And look at Jacob. This should give us great courage, men. Jacob is no spiritual giant. Jacob is not a guy that I look at and I go, Oh man, that's tough to follow. I mean, setting the bar pretty high, right? His obedience level real high, right? Four wives, hey, I got him beat already, right? He's no pastor. I've heard many times over, men have looked at me and said, Justin, I mean, leading your home spiritually, that's cool for you because, you know, you're kind of, you're the pastor. You got to do that. It's your job. But I'm just a mechanic, or I'm just a construction worker, or I'm just a middle manager, or whatever. You know, I don't have a very good understanding of the Bible, so I don't, I, I don't have to lead my family spiritually. No, 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 you are leading your family spiritually. You are. You're leading your family to worship. Wherever your affections and your money and your heart flow, your kids will worship. Okay, these little four-year-old kids that walk around with Nebraska Cornhusker gear on from head to toe—they were taught to worship, right? My son, Alabama gear—he is taught to worship, right? That's—you're teaching your son to worship. They're just more passionate about NASCAR than they are God. Why? Because you are. They're more passionate about what you're watching, whatever it is. What? What are your affections stirred toward? Look at Jacob here. Men, this should be an encouragement to us. Jacob is no spiritual giant. Jacob is no pastor. Jacob is no hero. He's a knucklehead. He screws it up more than he succeeds. But at least in this text today, he, he responds when God speaks. When God corrects him, when God brings a word to him, he doesn't balk, he responds. He knows that he sinned, so he steps up and he repents. kids, We're changing directions. That's what we're about to see. This is a funny text, actually. Kids, we're changing directions. Wives, we're going in a different direction. Right? He has a family meeting. We're repenting as a family. We were headed in our own direction, and that was wrong. Now we're following God. Get rid of all your false gods and all your idols. Jacob is saying here, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is interesting Because several hundred years later, let's just read this text here before I jump into that. Um, Verse 3, Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that we may make an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all their foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Now, listen, this is not against having earrings. Um, this was a pagan. They had ring earrings that were inscribed with pagan gods on them. So this was a, a part of pagan worship. Okay, so don't think like God is like, you know, anti-earrings. They're pulling out their, they, they pull out this, the gold that were in their ears. They pulled out all these false gods and they, and this is what they do. Uh, Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree. That was near Shechem. Okay? Now, this is interesting. Because several hundred years later, God's people would be standing on the same spot as they're leaving Egyptian slavery. If you've ever seen the Prince of Egypt or, or you know, uh, I forgot the one with, well, Charl- Charlton Heston. The Ten Commandments, I think it's called. You remember, as they're leaving Egyptian slavery, they're about to enter the promised land, this is, they're in the same spot, they're right at the city of Shechem, and this is interesting what's about to take place. See, 400 something years later, the people were struggling with the same sins. Human nature seeks to worship and that becomes a sin when we point or direct our worship at anything other than God. See, everything in the created universe is meant to reflect our worship up to God and it's not to, meant to be an end in itself. So if I worship the, the sun because of how beautiful the sunrise or the sunset is, that, that's false worship, that's idol worship because my worship is terminating on an end that's not, it's not meant to be an end. The sun is meant to point me and say, that's is amazing, the sunset is beautiful and I worship the creator of that sunset. So all created things, whether it be food and drink and culture and just beautiful art and beautiful music all those things are meant for us to, to ricochet our worship off of those things up to God. When I see a beautiful piece of art I think of how beautiful God is and how creative He is and and why is there a substance? Why is there a true beauty? Why is there a standard to which we can measure what is beautiful and what is not? Because God is the essence of all beauty. So, these people are leaving Egyptian slavery. They're struggling with the same sins. They were the Hebrew people and they were worshiping other gods. And like Jacob, this man named Joshua... He stood up in front of the covenant family of God and he said, no more. Now I want you to go to Joshua. We're going to be bouncing around. We usually don't, but we're doing it today. I want you to go to Joshua 24. I want us to read this. I just found it really interesting. Joshua 24. Verses one. And I'm going to read it real quick at first. Yeah, I'm just going to read it real quick. Let's, let's go. you there? Say there. Okay. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Okay, stop right here. There are 12 tribes of Israel. Why? Israel was Jacob's family. Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob's tw- his 12th son was born today. Benoni or Benjamin, those sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? Eventually, Jesus t- chose 12 apostles, right? This is an important part of the narrative of the Bible. Let's keep reading. They're at Shechem. This is right where Jacob is today. And they summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and all the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, remember, this is 400 something years later. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father, he's going to recount the story of God. let go to verse 3. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through a land of Canaan. Again, he's recounting the story of God. Verse 4. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. We've already read this, right? And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt. And what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then verse six, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time, 40 years. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand. He's recounting all the good deeds that he's done. He's trying to remind them of the story of God, remind them how they've been delivered. Uh, Jump down to verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now here's where he commands them. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Men, this is what we're called to do. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us out of and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. And among all the peoples through whom we passed and the Lord drove out before us, all the people, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But look, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice. We will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem verse 27. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it will be a witness against you you deal falsely with your God. Right here, 400 and something years later, Joshua gives a sermon to the people of God, the covenant family, that's very similar to to what we see Jacob saying and responding. And actually in there, they even take all their gods and and throw them at the base of this terebinth tree. That this is a common scene, it's a common problem with man that when we're left to our own devices, when we forget the Lord our God, we start to worship other gods. And men like Jacob and like Joshua before us, we must prayerfully and courageously purge our house of idols. Now that sounds so weird to us, our American ears, right? Idols, like we, you know, we, as soon as you hear the word idol, you think this little stone, this little thing you made with your own hand, maybe a thing of wood or a thing of stone that people worship sit it on their mantelpiece and and they worship. But the the idols or the false gods of our society are uh, much more dangerous than little wood statues. What What are the dominant idols of our cities? What's the dominant idols of our culture? Consumerism. The belief, the worldview... That I define myself by what I consume, by the houses that I own, by the cars that I drive, by the types of clothes that I wear, that I constantly need uh, new gadgets, I constantly need new video games, I constantly need new thrills. When I'm low, I go to the mall, right? Right? This this is one of the dominant religions of our society, and it's called consumerism. Secondly, individualism. We don't see ourselves as a whole. We don't see ourselves as a collected people. We see ourselves as individuals, and my rights, and my dreams, and my hopes for my life are what matters. And I don't really think about my neighbor. I don't really think about my church family very often. I want to define myself by what's good for me. So if I'm a part of a church, I'll be a part of a church until something gets difficult. And when it gets difficult, I'm going to bounce to whatever's better for me. That's individualism and it's sin. And it's the worship of a false God. Many of us even place our own desires and our own opinions above the word of God. Somehow thinking that us minuscule people who live in this moment, this speck of time across all the ages, right? We we get 40, 60, 80, maybe a hundred years, and somehow we think that we're the smartest people that have ever walked the planet. Individualism. Radical individualism. And lastly, materialism. Living our life for The material world, living our life to gather possessions and gather things and all of our identity. And that's what I talked about earlier. Our our worship flows to the material world to get the nice house, to get the nice car, to get the retirement account, to get the bank, the big, large bank account. That's a worship of a false God. It can be the worship of a false God. Right? And men, it's our job to lead our families out of this idolatry. How do you lead them out of the idolatry of individualism? Join a missional community. <laughs> they will help you destroy the idol of individualism. Why? Because people will step on your toes. People will call when you don't want them to call. And that will remind you that you are a servant of God of the most high. And you're here to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Right? How do you lead yourself out of materialism? Or how do you lead your family out of materialism? You give. You give. It's one of the ways to do that. So Jacob here leads his family in repentance. They put away their false gods. They cleanse themselves. Clean themselves up. They put on new clothes. They walk off towards Bethel. Now look at verse nine in Genesis thirty-five. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, "Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be Jacob." But Israel shall be your name. If you remember, Jacob means deceiver. Jacob means trickster. Jacob means schemer. Israel means the guy who wrestles with God. You're no longer that man. You're now someone new. In verse 11. And God said to him, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. He's reiterating the covenant that was given to his forefathers. A nation, this is the nation of Israel, and a company of nations shall come for you. And kings This is the future kingdoms of Israel. Kings shall come from you. Think of David and Solomon and the kings that come later and ultimately Christ. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. This is the promised land and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. Now, this is interesting. God's grace is just absolutely relentless, and what I find really significant here is this in this new encounter with God is there's actually nothing new. God is just summarizing all that he has said to Jacob over the past 30 years. But this does tell us something really significant and really important this morning. Jacob needed to hear something that he thought he already knew. Jacob needed to hear something he thought he already knew. God is just summarizing what he's already told him over the past 30 years. See, hearing the gospel, for us, if you can remember back, the first time you ever heard the gospel preached, right? Hearing the gospel for the first time is amazing, right? Many of us, our eyes were opened and we thought that, that Christianity was about climbing some kind of religious ladder and being a better person so that God would love us. And we hear the gospel that Jesus Christ, no, no, he looked and saw how sinful and how broken and how hurting we were. So Christ, a member of the Trinity, stepped out of heaven and came and lived the perfect life, born of a virgin. He lived this perfect life for us. And then he died a substitutionary death for us on the cross, in our place, to give us new life and resurrection and eternity with him and a new creation. We heard this for the first time and our eyes were open and we're like, yes, I want that. But here's the problem. Once you've heard that for the first time, you never get that experience back. Now, many people in revivalist churches, they, try, they always chase this new experience because they're trying to get that experience back. Trying to feel that feeling they felt the first time they heard the gospel. But what this text is saying and what this text is showing us is that growing in grace... See, growing to look more and more like Jesus isn't always about learning some new truths about God. Many times over, it's actually relearning stuff we learned a long time ago. See, verses 10 through 12, God has already renamed Jacob. He did that a few chapters back. He already said, you're not Jacob anymore, you're Israel. But the last time, see, it was outside the promised land. This time, Jacob's back where he's supposed to be. He spent 30 years wandering. See, Jacob, the deceiver, the schemer, the trickster, is now Israel. And in this encounter, it's so similar to that with the encounter that that God had with with Abraham, his grandfather. Both were renamed Both were told to be fruitful and multiply. Both were said that many nations were going to come from your body. Both were promised a specific land for them and their offspring. And Jacob now responds to this offer by rebuilding that altar, by putting up the stone, by pouring out wine and a drink offering over it and pouring oil on it. And this shows us something really important. Listen, this shows us something really important about repentance. Repentance isn't just about stopping stuff. I meet many people who they're addicted to some kind of behavior. It could be pornography. It could be shopping. Whatever it is, they're addicted to some kind of behavior and they're all they want to do is just and tell me how to stop it. I need to stop this. Their prayers are directed. Help me stop this behavior. But repentance isn't just about stopping stuff. It's about changing directions and redirecting our worship. The New Testament says that there are things that we need to put off, and then there are things that in return we need to put on. So many people understand the putting off, but they don't replace it with the putting on. You were worshiping another God, Jacob, and now I want you to worship the real God. You were worshiping the status and comfort that maybe money can provide. Stop that, repent, change directions, and worship God by giving 10% or more of your income to God's work here at Sacred City. If you're struggling with materialism, that's how you fight it. The money that's flowing to you now needs to flow to God's work. The time that was flowing to you now needs to flow towards God's work. That's real repentance. Put off, put on. When we just try to stop doing the bad things that we're doing, when we just try to put off things and without the putting on, that's called moralism. That's not Christianity. Think of it this way. Your life is like a garden spigot. All right? You know what that is? Hope you know what that is. Right? Where the hose hooks up to. Right? But here's the, here's the deal. Your life is like a spigot that's been turned on and then the, the handle has been broken off. It's in the on position all the time. Your life is in the on position all the time. The water is flowing. That's worship. Okay? You are a worshiper. You are created by a worshipful God. You are created by a God who demands worship, who desires worship. You are created to worship Him. So you, as a human being, I don't. it doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian or you're not a Christian in this room, you are a worshiper. By nature, it's what you do. Right? Now, What happens is when God opens our eyes to some kind of idolatry, maybe it's moralism, maybe, or maybe it's materialism, maybe it's consumerism. He opens our eyes to this. And we say this, this is what we do as human beings. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious. We say, that's bad. I should stop doing that. I should stop worshiping that. Should stop being so selfish. I should really stop. I should stop doing that. And this is what that's like. Trying to stop worshiping false gods is like this running over to the spigot. It's pouring out. The handle's broken off and we put our hands under it. Oh, I should really stop this. I should stop this. This is embarrassing. People really see me as selfish. They really see me as prideful. They really see me as whatever the thing is that we're trying to stop. And we'll put our hands over that. And maybe that works for a second. It doesn't really work for a second. You're making a huge mess. Right? You're trying to cover it up. You're trying to change your life on your own. You're trying to stop your worship and, you, and it's not working. And eventually you're just going to get tired. You let go. And what happens? You're the same way as it used to be. All your worship is flowing in the exact same spot it used to go. And what happens? See, your worship is flowing straight down at the ground. You make a big mess. It's going everywhere. It, the water, the worship's not going where it's supposed to be. It's just a big, huge mess right? And when you try to change yourself in your own strength and just try to stop doing bad things, it's like going to that spigot and just trying to stop the flow of water. You're not meant to stop the flow of water. You can't stop the flow of water. You are going to worship. That's why you can take a 450 pound man, grown man, college educated man, and you can place that man in the middle of soldier field in the middle of winter. And it can be a negative 30 degrees and that He's probably an accountant on the weekdays. But on the weekend, he's a worshiper. And he's got the Bears logo uh, painted on his chest. He's shirtless and it's 20 below zero. His hands are raised to the almighty God of Chicago Bears football, right? You can't stop this guy from worshiping. Men worship. They just worship fishing. They worship hunting. They worship money. They worship golf. They worship their stuff. Women, you don't get off easy. You worship clothes. You worship shoes. You worship the kids. You worship your time. You worship your bath time with your little fancy candle and your little, yeah, you know. You know. That's worship. Your water is flowing to that. Now, moralism tells us that we can stop the flow and and it just says bad. You know, football is bad. Enjoying money, that's bad. Enjoying a cigar, that's bad. Enjoying good drink, that's bad. Stop doing those things. They're not bad. All things are, the, the, it's, it's a gift of God given to us, meant that we're supposed to use it by faith and respond and glorify God. But this is, what, this is the difference here. This is what Christianity says. It doesn't say stop the flow and stop doing those things that are, you know, all the created things that give us joy. It doesn't say stop doing those things. It says walk up to it, walk up to the fountain, Put your hand under it and redirect your worship. That's what Christianity is about. We we're we always worshiping, but we redirect our worship towards the God of the universe. Now, what does that look like? That looks like the same thing it looked like. I. I if you worship... Football players and a a team, there's a problem with that, right? Those 26, 28-year-old dudes, you're (laughs) living in, it was worse when I lived in Omaha, okay? Nebraska Cornhusker football is a religion. On Saturdays, on Saturdays, everyone, I worked at a grocery store at the time, everyone came out and they were head-to-toe. Uh, red and white, like on, on Sunday or on Saturday morning, like the United States of America flag came down and the corn Husker flag came up. Like it was that kind of devotion. And I always, I always joked with people that, that their, their identity, that their joy, it, it was all tied up in 20 year old dudes in spandex on a football field, throwing around a pig. Like you should see this guys when Nebraska would lose. On Sunday morning, these guys came in like somebody just kicked their dog. They just, they come in. Why? Because their joy, their worship is all dependent upon a created thing that fluctuates. But if you take that same joy and that same worship and that same devotion, you place it in God, who never changes, your joy doesn't change. Your identity doesn't move around like that. So, this is what we see from Jacob, okay? He doesn't stop worshiping he redirects that worship to the Almighty God. And Jacob then calls the place the house of God, Bethel. So, I'm going to ask you this morning, what's your water flowing to? Where's your spigot pouring out to? Trace your water. Trace where the water's going. Wherever you trace that water, you'll find your God. Trace where your water's flowing. Trace where the money's going. Trace these things, you'll find your God. See, listen... There's no such thing as a person that doesn't worship God. They all worship a God. Many of them are just their God. My desires, my hopes, my wishes, my individualism, that's my God. We all worship. It takes just as much faith to worship yourself as it does to worship the almighty God. So where's your worship going? Is it going to your kids? Is it going to your job? Is that where your identity is wrapped up in all your worship, all your times going into your job to prove that you're somebody, to prove that you can handle it, to prove that that last promotion you got that they they chose the right guy or the right gal. Is that where you're, all your worship's going? Is, is your worship going what, to sex? Where, where's your where's that flow? Where's the water flowing? There you'll find your God. And I think we can learn a thing or two from Jacob's experience here. See, many of us in our Christian life. We learned some things early on. When we first became Christians, we learned some things that did us much good. We were thrilled to study what we call the doctrines of grace. It's, it's uh, how God in Christ has saved us. There's so much depth to it that we used to love learning about the gospel. But then many of us in seeking to move on and seeking to grow up and mature in our faith that we kind of leave those doctrines in our rearview mirror. We don't want to talk about salvation anymore. We don't talk about grace. We don't, we don't want to talk about that stuff anymore. Let's go on to study other things. The gifts of the spirit or the end times or let's go study some other things. But let me ask you, have you ever had something that you, you know you learned? You know that you learned it many years or many months earlier. Have you ever, you know, heard something like that again only to like you you know for sure you learned it years back, but now after you've went through a lot of ups and downs, you went through some dark seasons of your life, you went through some suffering and some difficulty, you hear the same truth, but it has a lot more weight to it. That it it, it has more meaning. To it because of the life experience, because of what God has done in your life. Now, what you are, you know, you already knew it, but now it it feels real. It feels deeper now. See, I think, like Jacob, many of us need to relearn what we've already learned. We need to re-know what we think we already know. The person you were. This is what God is saying to Jacob right now. After 30 years, the person you were when you first met God is not the same person that you are today. Praise God. God chose you when the Bible says you were his enemy. God chose you not because of anything you have ever done or anything you would ever do. He chose you by his sheer grace that you were Jacob, but now you're Israel. You were a deceiver, but now by my grace, you are the one who fights with God and wins. That's what we see God doing here. He's reminding Jacob of who he is. He's reminding Jacob, hey, don't, don't move past the gospel here. Don't move past the man that you used to be. You're no longer that man because of what I've done. God is saying to Jacob, I know that you still struggle with Jacob. I know that identity still claims your allegiance and oftentimes you even act like Jacob, but that does not matter. In all caps here, you are no longer Jacob. Be free and walk in your freedom. You are a new man. You are Israel. Now, don't you need to hear that this morning? Be honest. The reason we go over and we either try to stop our flow of worship or we let that flow of worship go to created things rather than the creator, most of the time the reason we do that is because we've forgotten who we are in Christ. We've forgotten all the work that he's done to save us, all the work that he's done in his son. See, in Christ, whatever once labeled you, whatever once defined you, in Christ you're a new person. That old man or that old woman died with Christ by faith. When Christ died, your old man, your old life died with him. You are no longer defined by your sin. The old man is dead, the new man is alive in Christ Jesus. As Christ Jesus was resurrected, it points and it shows us all that that's who we are in Christ. Our new life is come with him. We are new creation through faith. Man, it doesn't matter how many times you failed to lead your family. It doesn't matter if like Jacob, you've spent the last 30 years being spiritually negligent at home. That change can happen this morning. We all worship false gods. You can redirect that this morning. That's what this whole gathering's about. It's to be reminded that God is out there and He's bigger and better than any created thing. And all of our worship is meant to terminate on Him. See, all week long, we walk around like this, focused on our needs, focused on what we want to see, what we want to accomplish in our life. And Sunday morning, we're meant to come in and be smacked across the forehead and go, oh, yeah, it's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. And when I worship him, when I get my eyes off of me and I focus it on him, I'm actually a more happy person. Actually find meaning and joy and purpose. Purpose. In my life. See. I believe that, that you are here today. For this specific purpose. To re-know. If, you're, if you've been in church a while. The purpose is to re-know something you already know. To relearn something that you probably learned years ago. That you were built to lead and love your family. And in Christ. You have all you need to do that. Peter says that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. And you cannot be afraid to fail your men. You're going to fail. Look at Jacob. Fails over and over and over, but God's grace to him is relentless. God just keeps pursuing and keeps coming after him. Now we're going to take a look at one more scripture before we close. We're going to go to 2 2 Peter. Chapter one, verse three. This is a scripture that I've done a lot of work in that I've memorized large portions of it because it's been so good for my soul. And I would encourage you to do the same. First Peter, or second Peter, I'm sorry. Second Peter, chapter one, verse three. When you're there, say there. Okay, this is a promise to those who are in Christ, to those who have believed in Jesus Christ by faith. Here it is. His, that's God, His divine power has granted to us, this is all grace, all things, everybody say all things, that pertain to life and godliness, okay? We have been given everything we need to live the life that we're called to live, to have the faith that we're called to have, to to lead our families, to love our wives, to, to worship God and God only. We've been given everything we need. Now look. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has, here's the the words again, he has granted to us, it's all grace, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Because of this, so for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. We're meant to grow. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Stop right here. Christians, have you forgotten that love is the culmination of all these different things. And love is the end of the law and love is the end result and love is the goal. And here's the thing. If these qualities are yours, I think many of us would go, yes, I'm more loving than I used to be. Praise God. And I think, yes, I'm maybe I'm more steadfast. I have more self-control, all these things. But look, Peter is this, this shocks me right here. Peter says, if these are yours and are increasing, The Christian life is a journey. It's not a destination until we die or until Christ comes back. We're always going to be growing. It's called progressive sanctification. We're always going to be made more and more like our Savior. We're meant to be growing in love. We're meant to be growing in humility. We're meant to be growing in steadfastness. We're meant to be growing in self-control. We're meant to be growing in these things. Why? Why are we meant to be growing? Well, look what he says next. For if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that many of us in this room, maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe you've grown up. Maybe you've just been in church for years. But if you look at your life, you've become unfruitful. There's no fruit. You don't see any disciples around you. You're not loving people well. You're not making disciples. You're not engaging your neighbors. You're not on mission at your workplace. That if you look around you, you don't see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. You don't see those fruit bubbling up to the surface. You don't see you growing in those things. You become unfruitful. And, and for the Christians, it's so frustrating because we think, well, I already kind of know everything. I, and You go out looking for some new truth that's going to change that. There is no new truth that's going to make you fruitful. You have to remember what you've forgotten. Well, let me, let me show you from this text. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. Look at this. Having forgotten that he was cleansed. From his former sins. Having forgotten. Why do we become unfruitful? We forget. I pray this morning we would relearn something we've learned long ago. Is that you? Have you become unfruitful? Can you look around your life and say, Yes, I'm making disciples? Yes. The fruit of the spirit is growing. Yes, I'm killing materialism by using the finances and the resources that God gives me to bless the church and to move the church and so the church can plant churches and di- disciples can be made. And I'm pouring my resources into the ki- kingdom. Or are you still building your kingdom? Where's your worship going? Listen, if it's gone like Jacob to false gods, Redirect it, redirect it to the Almighty God. Peter says, "If you're if you're in here and your faith is stagnated, your affections for Christ has cooled." Peter says, "You've forgotten how much God has done for you in Christ." But God is so graciously relentless with us that He wants to remind us this morning: if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. You're not that old man. You're not that old woman. You were an enemy of God, but by sheer grace, he went out and found his enemies and made them his family. That's what God did in his son. Even Jacob, one of our patriarchs, right? The founding fathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They repeat this over and over and over throughout the scriptures. Even Jacob needed reminding who he was. This morning, we need the reminder. Sacred City family, we need to get really good at this. We need to understand that people forget who they are in God really fast. Many of us walk out of here, that was a great service, and we forget who we are, and Monday morning, we go back to living just like we used to live. Why? Because we're forgetting who we are. We're forgetting what Christ has done for us. And we need to get really good at this. We need to be really proficient at reminding people as often as we come together, you are new. You are sons or daughters of God Almighty. He has adopted you into his family. And Galatians, Paul says to the Galatians, if you are sons and daughters, then you are heirs to the kingdom. We are heirs of God. We need to be reminded of that. If you are in Christ this morning, we are family. When you come together in missional community, yes, we need to kind of sometimes remind people of their sin or kind of show them where they're they're falling short. But more importantly, we need to do a really good job of reminding them of who they are in Christ. What has God done for them? Listen, and I get it, all right? Don't. I get it, I understand how hard it is to believe that God has sh- saved us by sheer grace that we've been adopted into his family and our salvation is completely secure. And to have that truth give us such a confidence in our life that we trust him with our entire life. When you're looking at, listen, if you've worshipped materialism, all those things, consumerism, individual materialism, and you wor- and you look at your bank account, I realize how hard it is to write that check sometimes or to bless your neighbor or to whatever it is. I realize to let that go. You've had control of that thing for your whole life and to let it go. I realize that it's really, really difficult to do that. It's really difficult if we're focusing on the thing and we're not focusing on God in the, the process. I get it. See, it's really hard when everything in your life is telling us that God has forgotten about us. If you let this finance go, maybe you'll be broke. Maybe you won't have enough money. Maybe the bills won't be met. Maybe, maybe, maybe retirement won't be there. Maybe, maybe, maybe all these fears enter your mind. I get how difficult it is. Imagine I thought this week, imagine being in more Oklahoma this week. As a second tornado in a matter of weeks comes ripping through your town. That's really difficult. How can I trust that God is going to work things out? How can I trust that God's in control of all things? Jacob's in a very similar situation 30 years of wandering. Is God really going to be faithful to him? Remember the promise that we started this sermon with? God said, I'll get you back to your father's house. Look at the last few verses of Genesis chapter 35. 27. After 30 years, and Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. And then look at verse 29. And and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and he was gathered to his people, old and full of days, And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. God does what he promises. Jacob, 30 years, with crazy Uncle Laban, wandering around, his daughter, you know, horrifically attacked. He's been away from God, but God was faithful to get him right back where he promised he'd get him. He gets to he basically makes it in time for his dad's funeral. He gets there. He, his brothers there, he's reunited with the family. And they get to bury his father. God does what he promises. Many things happened in Jacob's life that would seem to say that he would never see his father again. But God made it happen. It was a broken road, but it led right to where God had promised. Listen, when we're looking at the circumstances, when we're looking at the things of our life, they don't make sense. But our faith needs to be in God who has all things worked out. I wanted to read uh, a hymn by John Newton this morning. John Newton, this is it. We're closing with this hymn. Um, John Newton was uh, basically, I think it's eight. I can't remember which century now, 18th century, I think. Um, a slave trader who had a miraculous encounter with God and God saved him and God changed him. And then he became a famous hymn writer. He wrote Amazing Grace. And he also um, became one of the, the founding men who, who uh, brought about the abolition of slavery. And he was struggling with kind of this same situation where... He didn't really understand God's ways. Didn't really understand. If he's looking in the natural, he doesn't really understand how God works. But then, when you pull back from, let's say, the thirty thousand foot view, you can see that God's at work. And I just want to um, remind us of this this morning. I'm going to read it. If, I think we put got it on the screen. If we could pull this up, <clears throat> he said, "This I asked the Lord that I might grow, and that I might grow in faith, and love, and every grace." might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his faith. Now that's a great prayer. He wants to know God. He wants to know what love and faith and grace looks like. Twas he who taught me thus to pray and he I trust has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour, At once he'd answered my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Okay, stop. So he's saying, I prayed to God for grace. I prayed to God for faith. I prayed to God for more of him. And I thought that his answer would be roses and rainbows. Right? I thought he would come down and he would twinkle some of his fairy dust on me, and I would get a little bit of Jesus, and everything would be all right. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Well, that doesn't seem like a very helpful answer to prayer. (laughs) Yea, more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds and lay me low. I don't know what he's talking about, about gourds. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? He thinks of himself as a worm. Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answered prayer for grace and faith. Stop. We know this, right? God, God answers every prayer. It's yes, no, or later. But many times, we don't understand how he's answering. Jacob, to get Jacob to become Israel, to accept the identity he was given in Christ, he had to go through the 30 years of struggle, the 30 years of difficulty. He had to go through that difficult time. Now listen to what he, what he says here. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all in me. People, I have a friend right now who's preaching the gospel in Moore, Oklahoma. Part of our Acts 29. His house was leveled. They brought in a rescue team. They, they set up a 20,000 foot tent. They had thousands of goods set up inside that tent. And another tornado comes blasting through, destroys the tent, destroys most of the stuff this week. And what's he going to get up and say? Jesus is better. And all of this stuff, he lost his whole home. All of the stuff that we lost is Nothing compared to Christ. Why? Sometimes he does all these things. He allows tornadoes to rip through our homes from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Why divert the worship? Why turn from worshiping false gods? Because Jesus Christ is better. He's the one man who will never leave you or forsake you. He's the one man that gave his all to cleanse you, to purify you, to make you into his bride, to adopt you into the father's family. This is great news. We call it the gospel. And we're here to celebrate this morning. So there's many people in this room that you're going through these difficult times. Like Jacob, you've forgotten who you are like you hit those difficult times, you go back to acting like Jacob. Remember this. Sometimes we worship idols and we have them in a death grip and God has to pry our fingers off of those things. Consumerism, materialism, individualism, those things are in our guts as Americans and God has to pry our fingers off of them and he's doing it for our good, for our joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your work that you're doing at Sacred City, the work that you're doing throughout the world. And we pray this morning that you would again remind us who we are, remind us that we don't have to earn it, we don't have to prove ourselves, that you've given us this free gift of your Son that this morning we can embrace him by faith. We can say, Father, I turn from the worship of self and I turn to the worship of God. I pray that right now you are directing hearts to do that because you are sovereign and you are El Shaddai, the almighty God. And as we come before you this morning to take part in the Lord's Supper that Jesus gave us the last night that he was alive on this earth before his crucifixion, that this would be a covenant renewal ceremony. Many of us that have walked away from you, that have forgotten the gospel, that we would renew that covenant with you this morning. We would step back in and say, Father, thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for doing what you've done in Christ to save me. My life is yours. Be my all in all. Help me find all my joy in you. Communicate that grace to us this morning, Father, through your sacraments. In Jesus' name, amen.